It went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Bruce, you had a tin cup moment before anybody had ever heard of tin cup. Well, that's right, too. Memory back to, uh, I'm not quite sure of the year. I think it was 1975, uh, playing out at uh, uh, San Diego in the San Diego Open. And uh, Tom Watson was leading the golf tournament uh, going the last day. And I was, oh, I don't know, I was five or six shots back in hour and a half in front of his tee time. And I, I came to the last hole at Torrey Pines. And I hit a pretty good drive on the last hole, just missed the fairway by about a foot on the right-hand side in the first cut, so I had a beautiful, cushy lie. And I was, I don't know, I guess 215, 220 in the front of the green, and I decided it was just a perfect high forward, and I hit the most gorgeous forward that I've hit in a long time, in my opinion, anyhow. And it, it actually hit on the bank about 15 feet in front of the flag, looked like it was going to stay there. So I'm thinking, you know, i got a pretty good chance to, you know, shoot 10 under around here. That'd be pretty nice. And I think I took one step towards the, the green and the ball started trickling down the bank and it went back in the water. And that was the first time that they'd had a lake in front of the green at uh, Torrey Pines. So I went in there, looked at it, and thought, oh, well, I can get this out. So I waded my way into the into the lake, and I whacked it once and moved about a foot to the right, and I hit it again and moved about a foot to the right. And uh, on my seventh one, I was able to get it out of the water, and then I hold it from about 25 feet for a 10. <laughs> yeah. So the the first time you attempted to get it out of the water, was there some ball visible above the? the no, no, it was a, it was a little bit under the it was a little bit under the water, but I still felt like I could you know get it to come up. The bank wasn't all that high, you know, it was probably only eighteen inches, two feet at the most, and I kept making the same mistake. Uh, you know, it would come out and it hit the bank up there, you know, just short of getting on the green and fall back down to the right of me, and I kept working my way to the right and. Anyhow, they 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 did something, and I thought it was pretty nice. They uh, they named the lake Devlin's Billabong, <laughs> so it's known to, by that to this day. To this day, yeah. Uh, now, and there was a there was a plaque put out there uh, on the stand in the middle of the lake, and of course they take that they take that off uh, during the tournament each year, which is nice. I don't like them to see my name stuck out in the middle of the lake. <laughs> Well, you had your name on uh, not just a plaque. You had your name on a golf ball back in the day. You had your name on a line of golf clubs. You were with uh, Spalding. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, and uh, well, uh, my third year, I come over in 62, obviously, played the Masters first, and then I played, uh, oh, I think I played about six or seven tournaments in 63 and went broke again for the second time, then went back, and then 64, uh, I came back and was able to win in uh, St. Petersburg after a nice lesson from Jack Nicholas, And then I got a, um, I was with Mark McCormick uh, as one of his clients and uh, he structured a contract with Spalding. And at, at that time in 1964, I think I signed the largest contract that Spalding had ever written for an endorsement. It was a three-year contract for $100,000. 
a lot of money back there. Pretty really. significant, yeah. And then they, uh, you know, they made a golf ball uh, with my name on it, and they made two different sets of golf clubs. One was a silver, and one was a gold, uh, with my uh, name on it as well. So uh, that was that was pretty neat to think that they were building golf clubs with your name on it back and, then. And you played those clubs and that ball. Yeah, I I didn't play I didn't play the ball because it was a uh, it was more of a a cheaper type ball. Okay. Uh it wasn't a you know it wasn't the high it wasn't the Spalding dot for instance. So I played the Spalding dot but uh, I think the gold clubs uh were pretty good. They they built some nice clubs. Talk a little bit about your senior PGA tour career. I don't know what it was referred to then, if it was the senior tour at the beginning, when it turned to be the Champions Tour. Correct. It was the senior tour when when I played on it. I, I had a, I didn't have much success on it, to be quite honest with you. Um, I, I was able to win uh, out in Ojai in California, beat Dave Arkelberger, uh in a playoff, but uh, that was my only victory on the senior tour. So it wasn't a very outstanding career on the senior tour. Yeah, but you had some uh, uh, some other things that uh, I wouldn't say got in the way, but got your attention. I mean, you got into broadcasting, you got into golf course architecture, and so uh, uh, it was hard to probably juggle all of those things and 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 be really successful at all three at the same time. Yeah, I think you know if you look back, you probably say, well, you know, you can't really do all of those things, uh, and I think. I think probably my golf suffered for it, but uh, you know I was happy doing what I was doing. Uh, I I enjoyed my uh, short, relatively short stint with uh, NBC, and then moved over to ESPN. And uh, actually, I was the first color uh, analyst for ESPN when when they uh, had the first Legends of Golf golf tournament in um, Onion Creek in. Austin, Texas, and my uh, my play-by-play guy was a guy that a lot of San Francisco 49ers will remember, John Brody, the great quarterback from uh, from Stanford who uh, who had quite a storied career and and actually he actually played on the senior tour as well. He won a golf tournament there in uh, I think he won in L.A. if I remember correctly, but. Uh, so I send out if he happened to listen to this. Uh, it was a great time working with him, and unfortunately, many years ago, he had a stroke, and uh, you know he, he couldn't play golf after that. But he's still around with us, and I hope he's doing well. Oh, good, yeah. You you, you work with some great people uh, uh, at NBC. There were some some uh, some names that our listeners would remember uh, that uh, were. Uh, for most part, professional sportscasters, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, the guy that I worked with the most was a guy by the name of Don Cricky. Uh, Cricky and I worked together for, oh, I guess a good two and a half years. Uh, and then... Um, was Jay Randolph uh, doing NBC work as well? Jay, Jay Randolph was on there. Um, Bob Golby uh, came along and, and was doing some work out on the golf course, you know, walking around... Um, Talking to the players when that wasn't being done. Uh, I mean, that was uh, probably pioneering work back in those days. Interestingly, NBC was the first uh, network to do, uh, you know, people walking out and commentating on golf. Uh, 
And that was my actual first job with NBC. I was a roving uh, analyst, not analyst, but, you know, talking about what what golfers were doing out on the golf course. And uh, that was, uh, I think that was the Tucson tournament where they first started. And I think it was, I think it was 1978. Yeah. Yeah. And then I worked with them through 1982, and uh, yeah, and after after being with uh, NBC, uh, I, I actually uh, lost my job to Lee Trevino. To be honest with you, he he ended up being the play by play guy with them, and uh, and I continued then doing my uh, you know golf course work, and it and I think at about that time too I started to work for a company out of Boston called State Street Global Advisors doing a lot of uh, corporate work for them which was a lot of fun yeah, ESPN followed uh, followed on behind uh, NBC and I I worked with them oh goodness for maybe 6 or 7 years had a had a great time with them uh, my uh, play-by-play guy was Roger Twible who sure, yeah. uh, who's um, who's been in the uh, television business for uh, for a long time. He was a great buddy to work with, and uh, I enjoyed every minute I worked with him. So 10, 11-year stretch or so in, in, in broadcasting golf events, was it all on the Senior Legends Tour, or were there were there some uh, regular PGA events that you covered as well? Yeah, we, sometimes we did the uh, – we'd do the front – we'd do the front part of uh, a golf tournament. Uh, I remember vividly – uh CBS was doing uh, the tournament in Denver. I'm losing the name of the club here, but Castle Pines. Castle was Pines, that's where back, the tournament yeah. was, yeah. And uh I had known I had known Frank Chikinian for a long, long time and Roger and I were doing the first two days of the of the tournament and uh I've always I've always given him a bad time, you know. Uh and uh, we get we get to start on Thursday. He comes on about five minutes before the uh, the telecast was due. He said, "Okay, boys, what what are we going to do today?" And Roger said, "Well, I'd like to start out to do this, and then I'll throw it over to Bruce, and he wants to start with such and such." And he said, "Okay, that's good." Well, Frank Chikinian got even with me that day. Roger started the telecast, and then he turned it over to me. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners know that you can, the producer can can individually IFB you so that he and you are the only two people that are hearing what's going on. And he started in on me uh, using some rather uh, what we would consider not very nice terms. Colorful language. <laughs> Colorful language. And said that uh, you you've given me such a bad time for all the years that I've known you, and this is my chance to get even with you. And he's talking in my ear while I'm while I'm trying to you know do my opening part for the for the telecast. So uh, I I tried to get rid of it as quick as I could and said, okay, well let's go out to the fourth hole and you know Andy Norse or someone who you know whoever it might have been and. Uh, no sooner had I thrown it away and he single-IFB'd me back again, he said, ha, see, I told you I was going to get even with you one day. <laughs> what an icon oh, it's in, what in golf, golf broadcasting. Innovator, yep. many years with CBS, uh, obviously you had responsibility for many, many years with Jim Nance at the crew covering the Masters, but uh, 
uh, yeah, what a what a, a lot of innovation. He did a lot of things for Golf Telecast. I think that he improved it a great deal. Yeah, he sure did. So you got into architecture even long before you got into broadcasting. I mean, you were you were a very you were in your prime actually, uh, uh, golfing yet, and got into golf architecture. How'd you how'd you get into that? Yeah, it was sort of strange because uh, during my amateur career, if we remember back, I, I become a, a a member in. Uh, a lakes golf club in Sydney and I used to travel 130 miles every Saturday morning to go play pennant golf and after a couple of years in the States as a professional I got a call from the uh, captain of the club down there and he said Bruce uh, I'd like to chat with you about something I'd like you to do for me so uh, we had a long conversation what actually happened was the state government decided that they were going to build a freeway from a different freeway from the airport back into the city of Sydney. And the routing of that freeway was going right through the Lakes Golf Course. So my charge was to uh, visit golf courses under construction in the United States and come back with a recommendation to the captain of the club of, you know, who they would, who'd be the best person to, uh, to sign as a contract to handle this freeway intrusion. Well, I looked around. And I made I made a recommendation to a, to the captain of a guy by the name of Robert von Hege, and uh, I hadn't talked to him. I hadn't talked to any of the architects. I just sort of perused around and looked at what they were doing. Anyhow, when he got out to Australia, he said, "You know, uh, this was a shock to me to think that I'd get a call from the Lakes Golf Club to come over and do. You know, why did you pick me?" And I said, "Well, I'm trying to." visualize a freeway going through a golf course and how do you block a freeway out you know from a golfer's perspective and i said i know that you were a protege of dick wilson who was probably you know he'd built a couple of golf courses in australia and he was a master at moving dirt around and and i thought that uh, robert would be a good guy to do it so uh, after that uh, that was in well, I guess that was in '66. Well, uh, let me let me stop you there because uh, uh, I, I made a note to myself to ask you this: uh, 1966. I mean, you're still just getting your career going as a professional in the United States. You haven't even moved your family over yet, and so I kind of wrote down on my piece of paper here: was that a little too early? Because it, it, it was a distraction, and uh, I can remember something you told me that uh, that that. Uh, you got to talk a little bit about Ben Hogan because you were taking a little bit of time away to do some of this stuff. And, 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 and I think you asked him something about taking a day off or something. I don't remember the whole story. What, what, what? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. We, we were, uh, we were playing a practice round and, uh, I, I don't quite know how the subject came up, but, uh, I said to him, uh, you know, I got to a point where I could play in golf with him. I'd call him Ben. Normally I would call him Mr. Hogan, but I said to him, so Ben, tell me, how many days a year do you take off? And he looked at me like I'd handed him a snake or something, and he said, take days off? He said, the only three days that I've taken off in my life was when, we got, when I got caught in a snowstorm in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He said, that in itself was unbelievable. You'd have a snowstorm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, he said. But he said, you can't take time off. He said, you've got to hit balls every day. And if you don't, for every day you don't hit a golf ball, it's going to take you two days to get back to where you were three days ago. So not that I took heed from what he said, but 
he was uh, that was that was uh, that was an ironclad thing with him. Even up until even up until he was in his seventies, uh, you could go to Shaggy Oaks Golf Club in in uh, in Fort Worth. Uh, Mr. Hogan might have been hitting balls up on the par three area, or he was walking the back nine, uh, and that's what he'd do. He'd go out there and hit a few balls, walk the back nine, uh, sometimes play the back nine, but he was uh, he's. He stuck with that right up until through his seventies. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I interrupted you, but uh, uh, th- that was an early start in golf architecture. But uh, you went on to to be quite a prolific golf architect. Most people don't understand or realize uh, the number, just the sheer quantity of golf courses that you and 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 in a lot of cases Robert Van and Huggy were, were involved in. Correct? Yeah, we uh, well. My total involvement in all the courses is probably about 150. Uh, the greatest majority were with Von Hege, and probably 100, 130, 132 of them. But towards the end, it was, you know, I just was doing it by myself. And uh, I, I guess what happens with partnerships is, you know, you you stay compatible for a certain period of time and then, Things things change with the way you look at things, and I got to a point where I just felt like uh, I felt like we were building golf courses that were too difficult for the members to play. And I've always been a, uh, a supporter of a of doing designs on what the property is itself. Try to change it as little as possible, and uh, and make it fair make it fair for the uh, for the for the average player for the average member. Uh, the difficulty can come in from from a good player's standpoint is you change the angles that the golf hole is played. Uh, I can give you a typical example of that would be the the third hole at uh, Secession. Uh, the members' tees, you look straight down the fairway, but you go back to the championship tee and you're on an oblique angle, so you then have to choose how how much you want to cut off. So Yeah, our seventh hole is similar. Seventh hole would be the same way. Yeah, 18 yeah. plays a little bit like that. Same well. way, exactly, yeah. 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 Um, well, you you, uh, you know, looking back at some of the courses you did, several of them have hosted uh, uh, some significant professional events, the Houston Open, the Health, Health South LPGA Classic, the Key Biscayne Golf Classic, the Nike Cleveland Open. That covers just about every professional tour in America. Oh, it does, yeah. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a sort of feather in your hat, I think, that they, uh, they decide to, to hold a, a championship from one of the tours on your golf course. Uh, the other, I guess the other, the other golf course that I've really ha- thought a great deal about over the years was the one that, that I built at St Andrews. And there's a, you know, there's a positive and a negative to that. Uh, to think that you can build it in St Andrews is, you know, you think, oh boy, isn't that great? And then you think, oh my God, the old course is three miles away. <laughs> what do you, what do you do? But a lot, uh, lot of pressure. Yeah, but uh, fortunately for me, you know, the old course is down in the, you know, basically in the sand dunes, and. Uh, I had the opportunity to build a golf course that was right on the cliff of the bay there. So, uh, on an old potato farm, is no, that yeah, hundred years they had. We're growing potatoes there, and we we ended up turning it into a golf course. And that was at the uh, what's now the Fairmont St Andrews Kittick's course. It was correct. originally called the Devlin course, but at the Fairmont Hotel, they've also got the Torrance course there. Correct. correct. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Sam Torrance and uh, and a uh, architect out of Atlanta did the uh, what what I would call the North Course, which is the Torrance Course, and then I got to do the one on the South Course, which was a lot of fun. And yeah. you're right; they used to call it the Torrance and the Devlin, but. Uh, the 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 Australian lost uh, lost his name off the golf course, but the Scotsman was able to keep it. They would have never done that to the Scotsman, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. No, but you did a lot of your courses in the U.S., uh, particularly in Florida and Texas. Uh, you did courses in Australia, your your home country, Japan. Uh, you mentioned your work in Scotland, the Bahamas. So you were you you put a lot of miles on back then, didn't you? In, yeah. At, while you were trying to play golf as well. Yeah, and one of the uh, the other courses I got a chance to build was uh, the golf course on the east slope of Mount Fuji, uh, about, uh, I guess, about an hour and 20-minute drive from the middle of downtown Tokyo. But uh, that club, uh, when we built it, uh, think about this now. When we, when we built that golf course back in the 70s, the initiation fee to join the club was 300 thousand dollars oh my then oh my now i don't i don't think those memberships are worth that today but at that time uh you know they they used to they used to seed all their golf course membership with particularly strong individuals from from japan and that sort of promoted the membership thing for you know for the average not not well average guy paying that sort of money is not an average guy. Sure, yeah, yeah, but, but it uh, sure speaks to the passion of the Japanese golfer, doesn't it? Yeah, boy, did they get a shot in the arm a couple of weeks ago too. Matsuyama winning the Masters. Uh, I just got to believe that Japan golf has got a real shot in the arm. That's going to be large for that region and for golf in Japan, no question about it. Uh, a lot of kids uh, nowadays are. Uh, uh, that'll be their hero growing up. Uh, Absolutely, know, what that kid did quite quite exceptional. Yeah, um, so a lot of a lot of golf courses, and yet, uh, you know, if you, if 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 people were to travel the world and played some of these courses, I think one of the things maybe you pride yourself on in terms of uh, your approach is that people wouldn't necessarily recognize anything as a Devlin type of uh you know design i hope not because you're you know you're going to look you're going to take everything with a blank sheet of paper and say okay what's what's the land going to give us here right that's exactly that's always been my philosophy with it uh try to change it as little as possible uh you know obviously the closer you get to water like at secession and the golf course in 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 scotland all of the Coastal Commission people are, are very, very difficult to deal with. However, uh, I suppose in, if you think about it on a, on a longevity standpoint, they're probably right. Uh, you know, try to keep as much of, of what's there there instead of, you know, intruding on, uh, on nature. But, yeah, I like, to, I like to just add to what's there if, if, if it's needed. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just... You you must feel quite proud with your body of work, uh, having it all over the world, and you know that every day thousands and thousands of golf uh, golfers all over the globe are playing your playing, golf courses yeah. every day. Yeah, that's pretty that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. A lot of honors in your life. I won't recount them all here. I'm sure one of the most significant ones to you would be your honorary membership at Shady Oaks. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm I must say that I'm a honorary member of five. 
golf clubs. Uh, one is Shady Oaks. Uh, one is Colonial. Uh, one is Star Hollow. One is Ridgely in Fort Worth, and the other one is uh, Lochinvar in uh, down in Houston. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's a it's a it's an honor when when clubs do that to you, and uh, uh, you know, like I've said before, my uh, my my heart is uh, is in secession. That's where I that's where I've uh, had the most enjoyment. I think. Yeah, and I was sure uh, honored to be present for the unveiling of your portrait as we uh, bestowed upon you an honorary membership and had you and your wife and, and close friends and family down for, I think what it was at the time was probably your 81st birthday, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, on the occasion of yeah. your 81st birthday. 81st so birthday. The stars just sort of aligned up that, that <laughs> yeah, year. Yeah, they did that year, didn't they? Uh, but I go back to the Shady Oaks uh, uh, honorary because I think there were only two others there. Uh and these are names that our listeners would recognize. Dan Jenkins, the famous right. golf writer, and then Nolan Ryan, the, the famous Hall of Fame pitcher. Pretty good company, That's huh? pretty good company. <laughs> I think so, too. Uh, finally, uh, your life's work, I think, uh, uh, is culminating here in a lot of great work with your foundation. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the Devlin Foundation? Yeah, we decided to uh, – actually, what happened is – when I built a golf course in Houston many, many, many years ago, uh, 40 years ago, I'd suppose it'd be, uh, we started a, uh, we started a, a better ball format, uh, with two players and it was the, the plan was to have a lot of good players come and play. And then one thing led to another and this particular tournament ended up with four different flights and it was taking six hours to play and my boys went down there and played in it and come back and said dad you know this is not what you this is not what you wanted to do so uh we think we think we ought to take the take the devil and name off that tournament and uh, we know you love secession. Why don't why don't we move it to South Carolina and and uh, so we we decided to f- form the Devlin Foundation to uh, to help uh, well to our two main charities, uh, uh, Junior Golf and and as you know, uh, the Levine Roach Scholarship Fund at Secession has been a just a marvelous success of helping people that have been associated with the club and their family and putting them through college. I'm not sure the correct number of years, but it's quite a lot of years of education that that fund has been able to uh, finance for these kids. And, you know, the junior golf side of it, obviously, has always had a great... uh, I've always loved that, to see the kids playing. So we pretty much do that. Uh, We do a lot of first tee stuff. We we do... uh, we do one in North Texas and uh, another one in uh, Hilton Head Island. Uh, so, you know, junior golf's, uh, I'd say that most of the money goes towards junior golf, and but the rest of it goes to scholarship funds. Yeah, it's helped a lot of kids in the game, no question. So, uh, so Bruce Devlin, world golf superstar, broadcaster, golf architect, grandpa. Great-grandpa. Great-grandpa. <laughs> 
Thanks for your time. It's great to have you as my co-host and great to visit with you about your career. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mike. That's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word, and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle. Quiet away.